Good morning, everybody, and welcome to worship. I hope that your day has started well. <clears throat> Early on the morning of October 26th of 2001, five miles southeast of downtown Fort Worth, Shantae Mallard hit a 37-year-old homeless man named Gregory Glenn Biggs with her 1997 Chevrolet Cavalier automobile. The force of the impact sent Mr. Biggs through the passenger side windshield of Ms. Mallard's car. Well, in spite of repeated pleas for help from Mr. Biggs for injuries that experts later testified were survivable, Ms. Mallard drove home, parked in her garage, and left Mr. Biggs to die entangled in her windshield. The next day, Ms. Ba uh, Big, Ms. Mallard and a couple of her friends dumped the body of Mr. Biggs in a nearby park where it was discovered soon thereafter. Now, the crime was so heartless and selfish, so lacking in compassion and human decency that it made nationwide news at the time. Ms. Mallard was convicted of the crime, justifiably sentenced to 50 years in prison for it. But Mr. Big's son, Brandon, a 20-year-old ministerial student, made news himself during his emotional victim statement by telling Ms. Mallard that he had forgiven her for so mercilessly killing his father. A group of death row inmates was so impressed with Brandon's kindness that they awarded him a $10,000 scholarship generated through a newsletter that those inmates edit entitled Compassion. As for why he forgave Ms. Mallard, Brandon was quoted as saying, I wanted people to be encouraged and know that there is forgiveness for the worst of crimes. And indeed, there is forgiveness for the worst of crimes. Our Lord Jesus is on record as saying, All the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But Jesus goes on to say that there is one sin that can never be forgiven. Now, if a person can be forgiven for something as cruel as what Shantae Mallard did, then whatever Jesus is talking about must be really, really wicked, right? Well, let's take a look at the scripture. Our text this morning is found in Mark chapter 3. I'm going to read for you verses 28 to 30. It's just a couple of verses, so I'm not going to ask you to stand because we'll be turning right around and, and sitting again. But uh, Jesus is speaking here in this text, and starting in verse 28 of Mark 3, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, all the sins and blasphemies of men will be forgiven them. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. He is guilty of an eternal sin. And Jesus said this because they were saying, he has an evil spirit. So there is a sin that can never be forgiven, not in this age, nor in the age to come. Are you worried that you might have committed the sin that cannot be forgiven? 
If so, then I have good news for you. You haven't committed it. And on the other hand, if you have committed it, you're not going to be worried about the fact that you have. In fact, you're not even going to realize that you've committed it. Are you with me so far? <laughs> it's a little complicated, so we're going to take a look at it and talk through it a bit. Back in the Old Testament, there were sins for which there was no forgiveness. Immediately after prescribing how to find forgiveness for unintentional sins, the Bible says in Numbers 15, verses 30 and 31, anyone who sins defiantly, whether native-born or alien, blasphemes the Lord, and that person must be cut off from his people because he has despised the Lord's word and broken his commands that person must surely be cut off. His guilt remains on him. In other words, he has no forgiveness. There was no sacrifice for a defiant, willful sin. And no forgiveness for a willful defiance against God on the part of someone who ought to have known better. Here in Mark, Jesus says we have a picture of what that looks like. And it looks like what the religious leaders had done when they came and saw Jesus. I want to read a little farther back up in the same chapter, a couple of three verses that come before the one I read a moment ago. Starting in verse 22 of Mark 3, it says, And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, He is possessed by Beelzebub. By the prince of demons he is driving out demons. So Jesus called them and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan drive out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. See, the scribes and the Pharisees had witnessed what Jesus was doing. These supernatural, miraculous things, healing people and casting out demons. And they attributed that power to Satan, not to God. They suggested that Jesus was casting out demons by the power of the devil, the prince of demons, Satan himself. And that was, according to Jesus, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was doing these things, and they said, no, it's Satan. And so they were committing an unforgivable sin when they said that, according to Jesus, because what was actually happening was being done by the Spirit of God. And verse 30 equates explicitly the sin of what they were doing the sin that can't be forgiven to their saying that Jesus had an evil spirit. The two are one and the same. Now, had they opposed Jesus purely out of ignorance because they didn't know any better, well, then they might have found forgiveness. The best example in the scripture of that is Saul the persecutor who became Paul the apostle. He persecuted the church because he, he didn't understand that Jesus was real, that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. In ignorance, he persecuted Christ's followers until Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and turned him into Paul the Apostle. 
you can have forgiveness for things such as that, even for egregious sins. But the religious leaders were not. By denying that God was at work in what he was doing, they were committing what Jesus considered unforgivable. They called good evil, essentially. Instead of being turned toward God, they were turned 180 degrees in the other direction, diametrically in the opposite direction to where they should have been in seeking God. It's their jaded callousness that prevents their forgiveness, that makes it impossible for them to be forgiven. They can't recognize their sin, so they can't repent of it and find forgiveness. The Pharisees looked at the very grace and power of God and called it the work of the devil. They were so far from God, so out of touch with God's Holy Spirit, they didn't even know what a grievous sin they were committing. That's why I said if you've committed the unforgivable sin, you're not going to be bothered by it. You won't be worried that you have because you'll be so out of step with God, your conscience will be so callous that you won't even experience conviction for that sin. With a conscience that calloused, forgiveness is impossible because repentance is impossible. You can't recognize your own sin any longer. And it ultimately results in a denial of the faith. Now that same idea with different terminology is found in 1 John chapter 5. You may have read about it and wondered about it. In that passage, it speaks of a sin unto death. In other words, John is using the terms of life and death as equivalent to forgiven and unforgiven in this context. If you're forgiven, you have life. You no longer are burdened by your sins. But if you're not forgiven, then you die in your sins and you suffer the eternal consequence of that sin. That's the sin unto death. And in that passage, explicitly, it likely refers to a willful denial of the Christian faith, which was something that the Gnostic heretics had done. John had seen it. He was speaking to something specific there, and there is no forgiveness for that. It's the functional equivalent to the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit in the Gospels. It is a, a, a system of goodness and um, righteousness that is turned completely away from God's goodness and righteousness. It's what we ourselves think is good and right. It's 180 degrees off kilter. And those who do it never know they have. They have created good and right by their own self-justification for so long that they have justified evil and call it good. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you've been carrying around a weight of guilt, thinking you've done something God could never possibly forgive you for, you're wrong. Simple as that. Jesus says in this text, anything you've done that can be forgiven to you, anything, all of the blasphemies and sins of men will be forgiven except the one. So anything that you've done that you're under conviction for can be forgiven. Confess it. Leave it at the cross with God and be free of it. Sin enslaves us. 
Forgiveness sets us free. In his book, uh, Will Daylight Come?, Richard Hoffler tells a little illustration of what it is I'm trying to point out to you today. There's a story about uh, a boy named Johnny and his sister Sally who went to visit their grandparents for a few days out on the farm. <clears throat> well, Johnny had been given his first slingshot, so he went out in the woods to practice with it, but he couldn't hit a thing. No matter what, he was too inaccurate with that slingshot to hit anything. So going back to the house in the backyard, he spied his grandma's pet duck, and very impulsively, he let fly one of those uh, stones, and lo and behold, it hit that duck square on the noggin and killed it deader than a post. Well, Johnny panicked. He grabbed the duck, he hid it in the wood pile. But when he looked up, he saw that his sister Sally was watching. But she didn't say anything, so he thought maybe she had dodged a bullet. Well, after lunch, Grandma said, uh, Sally, let's wash the dishes. But Sally said, Oh, Johnny told me he wants to wash the dishes today. Right, Johnny? And whispered, you remember that duck. So Johnny had to wash the dishes. And then later that afternoon, Grandpa said to the kids, why don't we go fishing? Grandma said, well, I need somebody to help me make supper. And Sally spoke up and said, oh, I know Johnny wants to do that. Right, Johnny? And Johnny had no choice but to agree because she had whispered again, remember that duck. Well, this went on for a couple of days. Johnny was doing double chores, his and Sally's too, until he couldn't stand it anymore, and he finally went in and tearfully confessed to Grandma what he had done, that he'd killed her duck. And Grandma said, I know, Johnny, and she put her arms around him and hugged him. She said, I was at the window, and I saw the whole thing. She said, because I love you, I forgive you, but I was wondering how long you were going to let Sally make a slave out of you. If we try to hide our sin, we become slaves to that sin. But if we confess it, bring it out, give it to God, we are set free from it. We are at liberty. We are forgiven. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Sincere confession and repentance brings forgiveness every time, any sin, no matter how bad. In Matthew's account, Jesus says, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven. But let me issue a warning along with that. If you ignore your sin instead of confessing it and repenting of it, if you repress your guilt and you tell yourself, oh, it isn't really all that bad, then you're playing a deadly, dangerous game. Because the bad news is, just about any sin can become the unforgivable sin. Think about it. These religious leaders that Jesus was talking about, they weren't otherwise godly men who just happened to trip up and commit the unforgivable sin one day. No, this had happened over a period of time. This was a gradual development in their lives by a slow process of hardening their hearts toward God. Over the course of an extended period of time, they had ultimately finally reached the point where they couldn't recognize God when He stood in front of them in the person of Jesus Himself. 
They had wandered from the path, slowly, little sins, justifying them, saying, well, they're okay. And so sins became more and more egregious. Their hearts became more and more hard and callous. They got farther and farther away from God until when God came to them, they couldn't recognize Him. A forgivable sin can be turned into an unforgivable sin. I read one time about a psychologist in Los Angeles who conducted weekly seminars for women who had had or were thinking of having extramarital affairs. And the purpose of the seminar was fourfold. The first was to develop covering excuses that a husband couldn't check. Number two, to resist the temptation to confess those infidelities. Number three, to carefully choose their partner in the affair. And number four, to enjoy the relationship without feelings of guilt. And it was that last point that was particularly important to those who were involved. One lady said that her guilt had nearly ruined her mental health. After the seminar, she felt nearly guiltless because, as she put it, she too had a right to happiness. Well, sometimes we sense guilt because we are guilty. And if you suppress and ignore those God-given pangs of conscience, the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit, if you do that long enough and with enough determination, you can get to the point that you can't hear God's voice any longer. Like these scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders, that's where they were. They couldn't recognize God, they couldn't hear God's voice. William Barclay, in his commentary on this passage, says all of this, I think, uh, better than I have been able to. Let me read for you what he says. We can lose the faculty of recognizing God. By repeatedly refusing God's word, by repeatedly taking our own way, by repeatedly shutting our eyes to God and closing our ears to Him, we can come to a stage when we do not recognize Him when we see Him. When to us evil becomes good and good becomes evil. Why is that the unforgivable sin, he asks? Because in such a state, repentance is impossible. The one man who can never have committed the unforgivable sin is the man who fears that he has. For once a man has committed it, he is so dead to God that he is conscious of no sin at all. That's what I tried to say at the beginning of this message. If you're afraid you've committed it, you haven't. You can still sense the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit in your heart. Are you under conviction for sin? That's the Holy Spirit. Confess of it. Repent of it. Be free of it. Thank God for the fact that you can still hear God's voice. But if you're not under conviction for anything that you can remember and can't remember the last time you felt it, if there's nothing in your life that God's been talking to you about, then uh, either you're a better Christian than I am, which is easily possible, or you may be in big, big trouble. It's a rare believer who doesn't have something that God wants them to work on. 
But don't shut out God's voice in your life. Don't turn a deaf ear to that convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. Don't rationalize and justify your sin, the sin that God has brought up before you to tell you, this is wrong, why are you doing it? Don't push it aside or else you may one day find you can no longer hear that convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. And that is an eternal, unforgivable sin. Sin. 